My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Somebody asked me this week, um, what's your vision for PV in the next five years? I kind of crinkled my brow a little bit. Um, it's a common question in our day and age of churches that, um, you know, we're growing and thinking about stuff. And, you know, you probably ask that to 10 different pastors. You might hear 10 different things. But what I said, and I think I've learned to say this, is... Uh, same vision that we've been doing for 2,000 years. We want to be faithful to Jesus. We want to preach the word of God. We want to see people come to know him. We want to be standing with him when he comes back. And I say that this morning because sometimes you're going to hear stories in the Bible as you go through and you go through the gospel and you kind of get a real sense of this. So we've been going through Luke's gospel. We've been doing it for a while now, but you start to get this sense of why does he keep saying the same things? Why is there so much repetition with Jesus? And it's because he is faithful and on mission for your heart this morning. And I wanted just to say that as I thought, and just so you know, too, people ask me sometimes, how does it work like when you're getting ready for a sermon? How, does, how do you study? How does that stuff happen? And I probably have the most odd, weird study thing that anybody has because it never works out that I go in. It's like, okay, from nine to 12, I will be sitting at my desk and I'll read this, this, and this, and I'll do this. It's all over the place. I can be laying in bed at night and the Lord's like keeping me awake and I'm thinking through the passage and a lot of times I'm working through just the different things he's saying. I've told you guys how I exercise, I go around the lake and I'll hear things. Sometimes it's definitely sitting there, it's sitting somewhere else and God is coming after me all the time. And this week was one of those really intense battles to get here this morning. Just felt like a battle to get here. Um, and one of the first things I wanted, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say to you this morning is you are right on time. You're right on time. The Lord knows you. He knows when you sleep. He knows when you can't sleep. He knows when you get up happy, well rested, and when you're sad and feel like staying in bed. You're here this morning by divine appointment. Even if somebody had to drag you across the threshold, <laughs> you're here by divine appointment. There's a plan. There's a path of life. There is a God and Father who loves you deeply this morning. You're right on time. And he is faithfully after you this morning. He is faithfully after you this morning. Even if you aren't after him, he is faithfully after you this morning. He's on mission. Which is why it won't be what I say that will break through. It will be his subtle and nuanced way of speaking to your heart, pinpointing broken places. And as I said, I know this because it happened to me this week. As I was listening to him, as I was reading the story that we're going to begin today, I felt like the Lord was reading my mail all week. How do you know this about me? How do you have such insider knowledge of my deepest struggles? How do you look at me and before I was born, before I was born, knew this is what I needed to hear this week. At this crux of life, at this crossroads of experience, at this drudgery of the daily grind, Chad's going to need to be reminded of something today. May it be the same for you 
But it's also important to know this. Walking with Jesus has to be an all the time thing and not a Sunday thing. Has to be Monday through Saturday. If there's anything we would hope that you gain from coming here on Sunday is that you know that as soon as you walk out the door, that's when it starts. That's when it starts. When you get up tomorrow morning, when you're interacting with your family and your friends, when you're going to work, it's a Monday through Saturday thing. It's a Thursday night at 11.32 p.m. kind of thing, which is when the Lord was one of my study moments. But it was a weird one because he was coming after me. I was thinking about the passage for today and he was bringing up all these memories from middle school and of a certain movie that I watched. And I've got a picture here for you. <laughs> Top Gun. Every middle school boy wanted to be Maverick or Goose, wanted to be a hundred whatever miles an hour with our hair on fire, Mach 2, living in the danger zone. My friend Jeff and I cut our hair like Maverick. We did. We were like in search of, we couldn't afford the real, you know, fighter pilot Ray-Bans, but we're like, can we get something that looks like it? We wanted to be that. We were cranking Danger Zone and playing with the boys on our boom boxes. Kenny Loggins set the soundtrack for our world. And the reason is because we looked at these things and, and here we are, we have this longing inside our hearts as middle school boys which you figure out this longing doesn't really go away even when you're 49 years old. But this longing in your heart that says, I want to matter. I want something that is important. I want to do something where people go, that's it. Look at you. You are important. You have figured it out. So this week at 11.32 p.m. on Thursday night, when I finished watching a documentary on Val Kilmer, because it had inside behind the scenes footage of him when he was a Top Gun. I was like, sweet. And I watched this documentary and Lisa immediately was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> not because it was Top Gun, but because she could tell, I know where this is going. I know where this documentary is going. And I watched it and I had tremendous sadness. Tremendous sadness. Val Kilmer has had throat cancer, He's uh, speaking through, a, I think they call it a trach, has to put a, something on his neck to just even say something. Sounds very different than he did in the movies. And there's this one image in the documentary that I can't get out of my head. He was sitting at this uh, conference called Comic-Con and he's signing photos of himself. And he is frail, he is broken, he can barely sit up. And people are walking up to him with pictures of Iceman, laying it down in front of him. And he's looking at them as if to say, what do you want me to write for you? And every single one of them says this, you can be my wingman anytime, Val Kilmer. And he's like, okay, he signs it. Next guy comes up, uh, could you put, you can be my wingman anytime. Which if, if you know the movie Top Gun, that is like the finishing line. It's Iceman to Maverick after this huge battle. You can be my wingman anytime. And everybody keeps coming up saying this. You can be my wingman anytime, Val Kilmer. And at some point he got so tired, he looked to the guys that were kind of his managers and said, I got to take a break. He went back behind, sat down on this couch, so nauseous, threw up, laid down, came back. Sorry, everybody. I'll start signing again. 
They interviewed him later because the movie, he's, he's made this documentary. And he said, I hate doing this. I hate selling my old self. I hate selling my old self. And as you watch it, you know, and even the movies that you've seen him in, other ones like, I mean, goodness, Tombstone, Amiel Huckleberry, Amiel Huckleberry. Uh, he's like, that's his biography. That's the name of his biography. Amazing actor. But what you see is a unhappy, has been with a couple of broken marriages, who can't do what he used to do anymore, who is still looking for approval. He's still looking for people to say, I accept you. I like what you do. You have it. You live in the danger zone. You are Iceman. It's, it was one of those moments when I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to think about this. And then I couldn't go to bed. And I'm thinking about the passage for today. So why do I start with this? One, because I want you to know that it's not a Sunday thing. It's a Monday through Thursday thing, Monday through Saturday. It's Thursday night, 11, 32 p.m. This is walking with Jesus. This is what it looks like. Is you're in God's word and then he is crisscrossing and in and out of your life and in your deepest secrets and your memories and your fears and your longings. And he's with you like with my brother-in-law who just lost his brother last week to cancer. He's with you when you're trying to trust the Lord with your children who are growing up. And you don't know how to find that line between, I used to tell you, no, don't touch the stove and smack their hands. And now you have to say, don't touch the stove in life. I want you to want to want not to touch the stove yourself. And I can't make you behave as you leave this house eventually. Like it's just this really weird thing. <laughs> it's this really weird thing. Jesus is in those moments. He's in those moments where you're trying to figure out where you're asking the same questions as Val Kilmer. Am I accepted? Am I okay? Do people love me? Am I approved? Well, that's just a celebrity, Chad. We're all normal people. And yet our social media culture has made us all wannabe celebrities, hasn't it? Where every day, even if we just like something or not, you mean you don't even have to post anything. Because I know every one of you have done that too, where you, you like something and somebody just lights you up for liking it. And you're like, oh, unlike, I don't want people to think that way of me. We're asking those same questions. So we come to Jesus this morning and I want you to think about this. And he just might have answers to these questions. He just might have answers because there's a battle going on for your soul and the enemy won't just let it happen if you decide to actually start pursuing him. He just won't let it happen. I guarantee you, if you make a decision this morning, you say, okay, I'm going to get serious about this. I'm actually really going to ask the Lord about these questions of identity and approval and who I really am. The enemy's going to go, oh yeah, let's go. Let's go. You will get pushed back. You will be tempted to go back to those old heroes, those old things, those things. And currently the social media, spiritual anesthesia that keeps you from having to answer these real questions, expect it. It will come as I pursue the Lord just myself, which is what we do as pastors. I don't know if you knew that. We don't like have all this stuff stored up. We actually say, okay, this is the passage this week. Are you sure? Can I get a different one? Can I get a different one? I, that, that one's too close. That's too close to stuff. 
As I did it, I felt like I was swimming through sludge, trying to get to the surface. It's not because I haven't fought well or that I don't fight. It's just because this is what it means. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. This is discipleship. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't bail. Stay with it. Stay with it. Lean in. It's too easy, easy to go the way of the world. You're right on time. He's got you right in the middle of this. Walking with Jesus is a spiritual battle. There's constant undoing. There's constant redoing. There's allowing the great physician access to your heart. There's speaking with the wonderful counselor. There's bowing the knee once again to the king of kings. There's bringing your conflicts to the prince of peace. It's not unusual. Get used to it. This is discipleship. This is what we do. And so in today's passage, when you see Jesus, look at a group of people and go, this is what you need to hear. I want you to think maybe he handpicked the passage for me today too. Maybe he knows what I need to hear today. May it be so. Luke 18 Verse nine, and you'll see why I started in this way because Jesus is doing a little bit of pre-soul searching for them before he even says a word. Look at Luke 18, just one verse. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Let me read it one more time. Not just any parable, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You may already be thinking, no, 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 no. Jesus isn't talking to me with this parable. I can check out, right? I can work on my grocery list. I can check my social media, whatever, the games that are coming up. I can do something. It's probably baseball already going on. You're not talking to me, Jesus, right? I am not tr trusting in myself. I, trust, I trusted you. I'm following you. Not it. Are you sure? Yesterday I was at Midtown buying some tomatoes. And uh, I was standing in line and I happened to glance over to this guy and he was putting his stuff up there and he put a copy of USA Today up there. And on the front page of USA Today is this map of the United States with red and yellow everywhere. Anybody know what that map is? Yeah. COVID-21. Just say it. COVID-21. The name COVID-19 because we're like hoping it was just 19. COVID-21. And so, and I'm not here to tell you any predictions about the pandemic, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. I'm not into that. That's not what I do. That's not what I do. Did you know that's not what I do? <laughs> that's not what I do. I'm here to tell you about Jesus this morning. I'm here to tell you that he started talking to me about it, but he wasn't talking to me about vaccines or anything like that. You know what he was saying to me? And I don't know, I, I feel like the, I, I have at times a real sense that the Lord is giving me insight into what's happening. And you've heard me say it, and you'll continue to hear me say that we always need to be looking at the events of the world in light of the kingdom of God and how is the Lord using them to cause people to respond to him. And here's what I felt as I looked at that map and I walked out with my bags and I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to think about that. 
And the Lord was like, yes, I want you to think about it. I was like, well, what? And I felt as clear as day. They're not hearing me. They're not hearing me. They don't think I'm talking to them. I was like, oh man, Lord, come on. Now I'm not giving any kind of predictions, but I'm telling you that when I read this and when I look at history, it always is linked. Anything that's happening in our world, the Lord uses it for his glory, for his kingdom, so that people will say, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you. That's what I thought. That's what I was thinking about as I left Midtown Foods. Now, some of you may be saying, man, where are my Jesus noise-canceling headphones? Because I really don't think he's talking to me. I don't, I don't, no, 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 Chad's off, whatever. It's a conspiracy, you know, all the things that we think. It's just, it's annoying. And is it annoying? Yeah, sure. Do I want for my kiddos not to have to experience this again in school this year? Of course, of course. Do I want the Lord's way in my heart and their lives more? Yes. But I do sometimes want Jesus' noise-canceling headphones. I'd, I'd like for him to not say anything else. Isn't it interesting that we have had to create noise-canceling headphones? Think about that. We've had to create with technology things that create white noise, waves, ocean sounds, nature sounds. Why? Why did we have to do that? <laughs> Is it because there's so much noise? <laughs> it's because there's so much noise. And we try to drown Jesus out at times too. But how amazing that your creator can look at you this morning and know exactly what you're struggling with. He knows the weak and broken places in your life, the places you think are good and strong and don't need any tweaking. He looks and says, you know what you need? You know what will do the trick this morning? I have just the thing for the problem of self-trust. He does this with everybody. When Jesus scans a crowd, it's never on the surface. He's never just like, I don't know, that guy looks angry. It's always to the core of everybody. He sees the problems through and through. And so he sees something in this group of people, in this story, he says to those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous, he said, I got a story for you. I got to tell you this story. Luke describes them as those who trust in themselves to be righteous and treat others with contempt. Now that word in 2021, righteous is not a word we use very often, do we? We use it on Sunday. What about Monday through Saturday? The only time you might hear it out there is if somebody gets really fired up and says, why you self-righteous, bleep, 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 right? We don't hear it otherwise, maybe back in the 90s culture of California surfers, that's righteous, dude. But other than that, who uses that word? Just in church doesn't make its way into my normal thinking of everyday life. So we need some help. Pastor Joe sent me uh, an amazing sermon this week by Tim Keller as he was studying for this. This is one of those reasons I was like, no, Joe, cover it, cover it. Just do it. Just, you can do it. Five more minutes. You can cover these verses. So I don't have to. 
<laughs> he didn't. And he left them for me. The Lord left them for me. But Joe sent me this sermon. I was listening to it. And he talked about this fact that the word righteous isn't something that we think about. But he said, what if righteous, if we just thought of it this way, he, here's another way to think about the word righteous, approved, accepted, chosen, declared good. You're enough. Like when a high school student applies to five colleges, but there's one they really, really want to get in. And when they get that letter that says, accepted, I'm accepted. Or the job that you applied for. Or the friend who says, I really like you. You are selected. You are approved. We need this. We get that, don't we? Righteous maybe sounds a little churchy, but approved and accepted. Do we say, uh-huh, just like Val Kilmer? Yes, I, I really, really want that. And we also know deep down that we cannot do this for ourselves, don't we? We can't do this for ourselves. We can't say, you are, but Jesus here is actually addressing people who are trying trying to accept themselves. I want approval. I need approval. So Jesus scans the crowd. Jesus scans the room. This morning, what does he see? Should be no surprise to you by now that he reads minds and hearts. Psalm 139 verse four, before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You know all about it. He knows you. He can diagnose this morning, not only the ways you are trying to win self-approval, but more importantly, why you're doing it. So here's the thing with that question, that question of, am I accepted? We either answer it so it goes away, just answer it so it goes away. I don't want to hear it anymore, which is what most of us do with difficult things in life, right? We numb, we dull, we distract the question dissipates for a moment, comes back up, but we can deal with it. And we learn this habit of, nah, I don't want to think about that. That's, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm going to go do this. So we either answer the question so it goes away or we get a real answer. We get a real answer outside of ourselves. How about we get a real answer this morning? Jesus is going to give it to the people listening in this story. Let's listen in as well. This is a story about prayer, so I thought it would be appropriate to pray. Let's do it. Lord, we ask this morning for hearts that have the courage to be vulnerable with you or to say, Lord, yeah, I am asking that question. Lord, to have the honesty and authenticity to say, I think you are speaking to me. God, would you speak to us would you teach us? Would you show us these places in us and how we are trying to do this and what the real answer is? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Verse 10, here's the story. After Jesus diagnosed the room, he said, here's what you need to hear. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this 
guy right here, this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Two men, this way of teaching, Jesus does this often. He gives two contrasting examples. House built on rock, house built on sand. There we go. Narrow path, wide path, heaven, hell, sheep, goats, those who love me, those who love themselves. So two men, Pharisee, tax collector. And already from the outside, the world would say one is religious and good. The other is going to be presented as irreligious or not religious enough and bad. So they're going to pray. Why? To answer the question. To answer the question. Why go if you don't want to answer the question? Why go into the temple if you don't care? If you don't care about approval, why go to the temple? They're going to fix the longing to satisfy the need for acceptance, for approval, to be chosen, to be declared, declared right, righteous. You know, we treat prayer as a difficult project, one to be avoided, difficult and complex. It's like, I know I should. Okay, I will. I'll pray. And I'm learning, though I am thick-headed, I'm learning. It's supposed to be like breathing. You ever been swimming where you do one of those where you go down as deep as you can? I remember kids trying to see who could hold their breath the longest. You're underwater and you're like opening your eyes, you're playing that game where you're trying to talk to your friend. You're trying to say something. What did I say? I don't know what you said. But you're in there and you're like holding your breath, you're down deep. And then that moment when you're like, I can't take it anymore. It's burning, 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 burning. You finally take a breath. I'm learning that's what prayer is supposed to be like. Not this tedious, complex project. Or like sitting down at a beautifully prepared table with all your favorite food, your family, everybody's laughing. It's time to feast together. Man, I want prayer to be that way for me. <laughs> I really do. So the first guy, the Pharisee is, let's look at where he is. It's just one phrase there. He's standing by himself, off by himself. He's praying to himself. That sums it up right there. He's off to the side. One translation actually says, not just he was standing by himself. It says he was praying to himself. Not a good look. He's not on equal ground or footing with others at the temple. He has elevated himself to a separate position. He's so religious that he has a church pew at the front with his name on it. You guys know the history of pews? We, we think, we hearken back to think like, oh, those were the days. Those were awesome. Actually, the way pews came about uh, at the turn from the Protestant Reformation, from Catholicism, where people stood and there was a lot of activity going forward for communion, praying, all this stuff. You're moving back and forth. The Protestants came along and started doing Think about it, long sermons. And people were like, I'll listen to you, but can I at least sit down? Can I at least have a place? So people paid to build for their families boxes, pews, with doors on them, with locks on them, with their names on it. And these became like real estate. They were passed down from generation to generation. People got in fist fights over pews and who was going to get to sit in that one that just became available because all the family members died. 
oh, that's super holy. <laughs> no, but it's a thing. You, you go into some older churches, go into church in England, something, you'll find churches with name plates on them. This is my pew. So this guy is standing off to the side and he has a front row pew with a good lock on it and his name in brass on the side. And he's like, this is my pew. His prayer begins okay. He actually says, God, I thank you. It's a great start to a prayer. But then as he keeps going, he pretty much says, God, thank you that I am so great. He's basically doing a psalm to himself. Who's listening to him? Who's truly listening to him? Who else is with him in this prayer? No one. He is praying in the church of one. Trusting in his own works. God, I wrote this psalm about me. But God isn't listening. He's talking to himself. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. If he's truly doing all the things that he mentions in the prayer or not the things he mentions not doing, he seems like he's a pretty good guy. What are the things he says? He's honest. He doesn't cheat others. He's faithful to his wife. He fasts twice a week. He gives a tithe of everything that he earns. Are those all good things? Yeah. Would we all say, hey, man, if, that, if that's you, you're doing great. Good religious activity. So what's the problem? Look at what he says next. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. I'm not like him. And all of a sudden his heart cracks open and you're like, aha, there it is. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Inside hint here, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Everybody equally guilty, equally lost. But he doesn't think so. He actually is in his mind. He's thinking this, I'm doing really well. I'm pretty good here, God. I have amassed a substantial amount of good works, a good living, a right living. And so religion has scales. And so if somebody asks you the question, if you ask a lot of people, majority of people out there, hey, what do you think if today you died? You ever heard this question? Somebody asked you this question. If you died today, what would happen? And a lot of people would answer, well, I'm pretty good. As far as good things, bad things on the scale, I have more good than bad. I think God should grade me in a B, you know, whatever I can get in. That's religion. But the problem too is he thinks I am doing so well, God, you owe me. You owe me a good life. You owe me a pain-free living well and for sure an entrance into heaven. What's he doing? He's answering, at least attempting to answer the question for himself. Who will accept me? Who will tell me if my life measures up? I will. I'll tell myself. So he says in his prayer to himself, I'm good. Look, look at all that. I'm good. I 100% self-approve. I self-accept. I decide. Sound familiar? Genesis 3, the oldest sin trick in the book. I want to decide what is good and evil. I don't need you, God, telling me. So what's true about his eternity? If you were answer the question for him, if, if he's doing all those things, legitimately doing all those things and living 
a pretty good life like that. He's not a cheat. He's faithful to his wife. He tithes, he fasts. What would you say? Is he getting into heaven? Here's the thing. His good deeds are enough to damn him. What? Good deeds can send you to hell? According to Jesus, they can. Good deeds can send me to hell. Now, Jesus hasn't said it outright, but he's going to get there. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off. Now, remember the Pharisee standing by himself, elevated. He's got the front row pew with his name on it. The tax collector standing far away, won't even look up to heaven, is beating his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus declares comparing the two. I tell you, this man who didn't say he did anything well, no good works on the scale, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why does Jesus talk about where he's standing and where the other guy is standing? And how they're carrying themselves and this posture with which they present themselves. You know, as a middle school boy, when I looked at Top Gun and I saw these guys, I feel the need, the need for speed. And they're flying and they got their hair and the stuff. The outward presence was like, yes, dad, can I get Ray-Bans? No, <laughs> why not? I really, I really need them. The outward thing looked good. So standing off by himself, head high, standing far away, head low, beating his breast. An outward posture of and position of brokenness, contrition, humility are quite different, I think you would agree, than a proud, in-your-face, brash, self-righteous approach. So I have this other thing about me. I have this inner kind of compass sense, if you will, and I believe it's a gift that the Lord has given me of whether or not I can trust my heart with someone. Like just in a few minutes in a conversation, I can know, can I share something deep about myself or a broken place with this person? And almost instantly I know, no way. <laughs> it's just something and there's something about this outward thing. Which person of the two in the story, would you share a deep secret with? The good, righteous Pharisee who's done everything right or the broken, beat up, head down, beating his breast, standing far away tax collector? Now, you may not answer the same way as me and the world for sure will not answer the same way. The world values the strength it values the Ray-Bans. It values those who are living at Mach 2 and says, that person has it. I want it. But the person whose opinion you should care about isn't mine or the world's. It's the person telling the story. Jesus, his opinion is what matters and what he thinks is what should concern you. And guess who he's highlighting? The guy in the dirt. He's the one that he would say, yeah, your heart, talk to him. He will get you. He will understand. And before we get to his request, because he asks something of the Lord, look at how he describes himself. I am a sinner. Some translations actually say, I am the sinner. 
just defined. Kind of reminiscent of Paul saying, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, I'm the chief of sinners. He wasn't saying that he sinned more than anybody else. He was saying a lot about his heart posture before the Lord and understanding what grace and salvation really means. I am the sinner. The other guy is a spinner. Spinning a web of lies about himself. This guy, though, knows the truth. Doesn't need to be convinced. He isn't just somebody who's gotten a little out of balance. My scales are tipping. Oh, Lord, I've got too many bad things. I need you to help me tip them the other way. Can you forgive a few things? No, he knows that the scale is broken. The scale is broken. There is an immovable weight on the bad side from the moment you're born. That's what the Bible tells us. But if you're living with dead religion as your mode of trying to answer that question, you're going to keep trying. If I could just put enough on the other side, I think I can get it to tip a little bit and then God will probably accept me if I get into heaven. Not this guy though. He knows who he truly is. I am a sinner. And let me just say it. Repetition, simplicity, the gospel. This is the first step to true salvation. Honestly, truly knowing who you are, you got to get through that layer of self-righteous garbage to see the wondrous creation you are underneath. You must say, I am a sinner. And what's his request? Lord, can you just forgive a couple of sins that I had this week? I'm really struggling with these really difficult sins. No, have mercy on me. Now that's also a phrase we don't use very often um, and not something that we think, but if you look at the words that are being used, you know what he's actually saying? Make atonement for me. Make, here's a big word for church, but we're going to get it, get through it. Make propitiation for me. The word is linked directly back to the Ark of the Covenant. And God told Moses, make a mercy seat. It's this cover laid in gold with cherubim angels carved on top. And the presence of God would dwell in between the two angels. And when they would make a sacrifice for people's sins, they would spread the blood in between on top of the mercy seat. It's the same word. The guy is saying, make atonement for me. Now I'm going to give you a quick, little, easy theology lesson on propitiation. And there's another word, expiation. Okay. Not so you can brag, but just so you can know there's some words that that's the word they have. And there's not another thing they can say. Two easy ways to remember. And it's the first three letters of both words. Okay. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about provision and sovereign and that in the words themselves, you can hear sovereign reign is in there. The reign of God as the king provision. He is providing everything you need. So propitiation, pro meaning for God, for you on your behalf, a sacrifice is made, which appeases the, the wrath of God, which the Bible says has to happen. The sacrifice of Jesus, the pro for me propitiation the atoning sacrifice is another way to say that has been made for me. The guy is saying, make atonement for me. I need a sacrifice. 
I can't do this. I can't tip the scales on myself. How about the other word, expiation? X as in E-X, exit, get out. Expiation is God comes in and removes, scrubs clean, takes out the sin. Just a little tiny glimpse into what Jesus does for us. On our behalf, pro for us, expiates. He pulls out, scrubs clean the sin. The guy's not asking for God to tip the scales a little bit. He's saying, throw away the scales. I know it's totally lost there. I need atonement. I need to be, I love what Nikki Gumbel says in the Bible in one year app. He said, atonement, break it down to at one to be at one with God again. The son offered as a perfect atoning sacrifice, a propitiation, 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we have tipped the scales, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be for us, to remove the sin, to scrub us clean. And what's the result? Anything the guy did? No. The result is he goes home. I love that. The man went home justified. Monday through Saturday, baby. Not just Sunday. The man went home justified. The bad tax collector is saved and the good Pharisee is not saved. Whoa. You're like messing with the whole world's understanding of being right with God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So what should we do? Because of Jesus, come in close. Last week, Pastor Joe mentioned one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. That is my attic office. That is above my door. Not on the outside, it's on the inside. And as I sit there and seek the Lord and I'm trying to do a little writing up there, but you know what I do? I say, Lord, I'm calling to you and I'm asking, tell me great and unsearchable things that I don't know. Joe said it last week. It's his cell phone number. It's God's cell phone number. Come close. Because of Jesus, come close. So Tim Keller reframes that question of, am I accepted? Am I approved to this? How can I be filled with God's approval? How can I be filled with God's approval? How can I know who I really am? How can I be approved by God? Jesus says it here, humble yourself. Get low before the king, throw away the scale. Feel him, lift your chin and lift your head. Hebrews 4, 16, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Come close so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. First John, that which we have seen, that which we have touched and heard, come close. Touch his nail-scarred hands. This is who we proclaim to you. What's the worst thing you can do in response to this parable of Jesus today? Again, Tim Keller was gold on this and I just laughed when he said this. You could listen to this story 
read it and say, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. (laughs) Oops, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Maybe today is the day you truly say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of the scales. I'm tired of signing those old autographs for myself. Have mercy. Will you make atonement for me? And I want you to hear him. and I want you to see him smiling. And I want you to look at the nails in his hands. Did you know that Jesus will have a physical body? It's part of the reason he was resurrected. He will have a physical body in the kingdom of God. It will be marked with the nail scars. I want you to hear him, look at you. And as you say, will you make atonement for me? I want you to hear him say this. I have. It is finished. It has been accomplished. That is the gospel, folks. I have the worship team come up, and I heard them rehearsing this morning, and I stuck my head in and put my fist up and, and yelled and whooped it up because they were singing this song. This is my favorite song. I have listened to this song hundreds, hundreds of times. There's a bridge part that says this. I'm not going back, never going back. How amazing to know that we've only just begun. We've only just begun. I'll keep pressing on. I'll keep going strong. I'll keep singing the same songs. We've only just begun. We've only just begun. There's no doubt about it. I'm on my way home. I'm not yet where I'm going, but I'm a long way from where I started. May that be true of you today encourage you. Yes, it's simple. Someday you may leave and say, you know what? Those people keep saying the same thing at Pleasant Valley. I'm going to another church. Okay. (laughs) That's all right. But we want you to know the gospel. We want you to know the vision hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's still God have mercy and him saying, "Um, absolutely, I have. I have made atonement for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just simple stories. Lord, I, I like to think about you scanning the room and stopping on me and me turning away and hoping just, just move on, just move on. Next person, next person. And then I look back up to see that you've gone on and you're still staring at me <laughs> and you're smiling and you're saying, I know what you need today, Chad. And it is absolutely and fully available to you in me. Come close. Lord, we, as best we know how, with the grace available to us this morning, say, God, we need you. We bless you. We long for you, God. We miss you. Ask that you would give us the grace and the courage to listen. To listen. minister to us now as we sing together. Amen. Why don't we stand?